The Buffalo Bills defensive coaching staff has been completely overhauled. What can we expect from the unit? We're going to explore that today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, folks, my guest today is Anthony Prohaska from Cover One. And Anthony joined me last offseason. We talked about how the Bills' defense could evolve under Sean McDermott. We had a great conversation about 12 personnel and the incorporation of that. And so I wanted to bring him back this time around to start speculating on what this defense is going to look like. Anthony's very quickly become one of my favorite people to talk football with. And so with some of the things that I'm thinking about, uh, some of the things I know everyone else is thinking about with his defense, I wanted to collaborate with Anthony and talk about it here today on this episode. Anthony, my dude, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, man. And thank you for the uh, very kind words. I'm always I'm always pumped whenever you and I uh, can collaborate and do some stuff. You've been on my show multiple times. I've been, I think this is, yeah, my third time here yeah. now. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you on disguise coverage as we start to move forward come draft season and off season stuff. So yeah, I appreciate the work that you do. You're great at it. And uh, thanks for having me. Well, thank you, sir. And I want to talk about this defense. Mm -hmm. There is so much that's going to be different, new coordinator, tons of new coaches, potentially some new personnel. And so I want to get into all of that here today, but let's just start with the most obvious thing that's going to be different. Bobby Babich the new defensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott could have continued in the role. He could have said Eric Washington. He could have said John Butler. He could have said outside hire. He goes with Bobby Babbage. So your general thoughts, your initial reaction to Bobby Babbage being tabbed as, well, I guess McDermott's successor when it comes to being defensive coordinator. Yeah, I, I liked it. And, you know, granted, we, we still have to see what he looks like in a a wider, larger scale role as coordinator and overseeing the entire unit. Um, but his track record from a positional development standpoint is so strong, you know, with working with the safeties from 2018 to 2021, kind of in that rise of Hyde and Poyer becoming arguably the best safety tandem in the NFL and being at the forefront of that kind of removing the strong and free tag from safeties and just being more, I hate saying positionless, but being more positionless or interchangeable on the back end with your safeties and just what he did, you know, helping them and kind of getting the safeties coached up in general. And then he takes over the linebackers in 2022. Matt Milano has an all pro season. Tremaine Edmonds has arguably his best season as a bill, making more splash plays and then come around to 2023 where he's overseeing the linebackers again. And Terrell Bernard emerges as a bright young piece of the defense and one of like the best bright young linebackers in football. Tyrell Dodson starts to provide a level of effectiveness that we previously had not seen mm -hmm. from him. And, you know, again, with everything, I, I think there's still going to be question marks as far as what he can do overseeing 
an entire defense as opposed to a position group. His previous, you know, kind of largest scale responsibility was being defensive pass game coordinator at, at FIU. Um, but I think given how he's presented himself in interviews, his track record of positional development, I think it's fair to be excited about his hiring and, you know, potentially being one of like the next bright young defensive minds in football. I think it's very interesting that not only did Sean McDermott choose Bobby Babbage, but Bobby Babbage chose Sean McDermott in the mm-hmm. Buffalo Bills as well which is a different trend compared to, well, Leslie Frazier kind of felt like he was maxed out in Buffalo, takes a year off. We just see John Butler. He, you know, he didn't get the D.C. job. He feels like he's maxed out in Buffalo. He's gone. Eric Washington goes to Chicago to be their defensive coordinator. As we just learned literally a few minutes before recording this podcast, he will not be the defensive play caller for the Bears. Matt Eberflus is going to handle those responsibilities. But Bobby Babich, despite having interviews from the Giants, Packers and Dolphins, mm-hmm. all three offensive-minded head coaches. Who are maybe the best thing for Babbage's career would be to go to those places. Yeah. He stays in Buffalo. What does that say to you? I think that is very interesting. Like, and it's a great point. And I think it says from a Babbage perspective. He appreciates the working relationship with Sean McDermott and just the overall franchise feel, culture feel, or maybe, you know, to kind of play the negative side of it, maybe he feels like he's not ready to be completely put into that solo Mm -hmm. spotlight, you know, because when you get paired up with those offensive minded head coaches Mm -hmm. who are running an offensive side of the ball, you're kind of like. I don't know. I always, I always imagine the example I always give is like Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo. Granted, it's a different dynamic, but like Andy Reid's just doing offensive stuff every week. And just a couple of times a week, he knocks on the door and is like, Hey, Steve, everything good with the defense. All right, great. <laughs> see you practice. And then just keeps on walking by and that's it. Yeah. And not that that's going to be the same everywhere, but there's more of a focus for you being in the spotlight when you're running the de- a defensive side of the ball, when paired with so heavily minded offensive minds um, with, again, Dable and Lafleur and uh, McDaniel and also successful offensive minds. So maybe it says that he wasn't ready to step out that far and, you know, swim that far away from shore, or just he appreciates what he has here, wants to continue to learn uh, under Sean McDermott and grow here. Not to mention, too, the Bills are a well-run franchise. They're a good team. They got a good defense with good players. Also, maybe, too, he didn't want to step away given, you know, what they built upon here uh, with the Bills. Yeah, I mean, the capacity to do to do the job is a big thing. And I think Brian Dayball, as somebody who had several years of observing Babbage as a position coach, for him to be interested, right, to, to talk to him, I think that says a lot about Babbage's capacity to do this. Now, it's not just Babbage. And it, this is fascinating to me, just how much this staff is overhauled on defense. Literally, I mean, literally everything. <laughs> Is different. So Bobby Babbage, your defensive coordinator, Eric Washington, goodbye. You're in Chicago. <laughs> John Butler, you resigned. Al Holcomb yeah. goes to be the linebackers coach now to replace Babbage. Yeah. Marcus West was the assistant D line coach. Now he's the full time D line coach. Yeah. And then you have outside hires for your cornerbacks coach and Jamila Dye, Nichols coach, senior defensive assistant uh, Scott Booker, assistant D line coach Matt Edwards, defensive quality control coach Christian Taylor. I could have probably just said this. I can boil it down to just this. The only defensive coach that is returning to the same role in 2024 is safeties coach Joe Dana. And his first (laughs) year on the team was last year. Literally everything is different. Anthony, how are you processing that? Does it concern you? Does it excite you? There's a lot of shift here when it comes to this defensive coaching staff. You know, it's super funny. I didn't, I hadn't really processed it until you sent me the outline and I was like, 
oh God, it literally, like it literally is an overhaul. Like you, that's a tremendous word to use for it and changes at all three levels of the defense. So you have the overall change with the DC changes at all three spots, defensive line, linebacker and secondary. And, and anytime I think you have a multitude of changes like that, and you have like wholesale changes and overhaul, I, I think it's fair to have concerns. And I do, you know, even if, even if you're being replaced or you're having guys replaced with hires that you perceive as better, there's still something to be said for how does everything, how do all the puzzle pieces fit together? What does the chemistry look like? How does that translate to the field? So I think, you know, there has to be some questions as far as quality moving forward, but overall I'm excited mainly because I like several of the people that have been brought on. I'm less concerned about the departures, especially Eric Washington, but I am a bit sad to see John Butler go. He was spoken of very highly by players. Um, The one that always hits me immediately is after the multiple interception game against the Pats, in Buffalo for Rasul Douglas, he's talking post game about, you know, the coaches setting him up for success and what he was seeing and what he was keying in on. And the person who asked him that question followed up and was like, Oh, you mean Sean? And he was like McDermott. And they were like, yeah. And he was like, no, JB obviously representing like John Butler and just overseeing the DB since 2018 and having a hand in Hyde and Poyer, but also getting every drop of blood from the stone for guys like Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson and helping Taron Johnson become one of the best nickels in football, Trey White becoming one of the best corners in football, Christian Benford emerging as a bright young CB2, uh, CB2, Rasul Douglas, again, this is a credit to Douglas as well, but Rasul Douglas like seamlessly transitioning into this defense and playing like a CB1 down the stretch. It felt like under you know Butler's stewardship with the secondary it felt like no matter who you plugged in there regardless of talent level you got some semblance of consistency and production and honestly more often than not high level play when they weren't decimated by injuries so that one worries me a bit um I thought he was a good mind and a calming factor back there and his experience and rapport with the players and team and McDermott was good but you know to your point and what you mentioned earlier like him feeling maxed out he wanted a DC opportunity it looks like so Wish uh, wish him best of luck. So I'm sad to see him go, but I am excited about um, a couple of the hires, mainly Jamila Dye and Scott Booker. Um, I, I'm i a big Miami Hurricanes guy. I've seen probably every single Miami game for the last, I don't know, however many years, and especially the last two. And between seeing them on broadcast and then watching Miami tape last offseason for Tyreek Stevenson and Cam Kitchens. And then this offseason, watching Cam Kitchens again and James Taylor, James Williams and some Leonard Taylor stuff. I just like what Miami does um, as a defense from, you know, how they played overall and in the secondary, playing that attack-minded, leverage-based match type of defense um, overall, and especially in the secondary. And then how that pairs well and transitions well. Um to this Bills defense and the NFL style of football that's working defensively right now. And then even Scott Booker, um, that new nickel coach and senior defensive assistant, like you mentioned, coming from Tennessee, uh, a group that has been one of the best simulated pressure package defenses the past several years. So I'm interested to see like, how does he bring any of that with him? We know Sean McDermott is a fan of those simulated pressures and those creeper pressures and how those work in. And Tennessee was very adept at that covering on the back end and creating some confusion. So I like what some of the new pieces add and potentially bring. All right, Anthony and I, in just a moment here, we're going to dive a little bit further into the new additions to the coaching staff. And I want to talk to Anthony about, play calling on the defensive side of the football. So be sure to stick with us. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Well, our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. 
The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for just about anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. The 2024 Nissan Armada will change what you expect from a full-size SUV. Picture a rugged 4x4 that can seat up to 8 in first-class luxury and style. Tow bigger and explore further in the 2024 Armada. Take the Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. All right, Anthony, one thing that kind of crossed my mind is we're talking about all this defensive coaching staff turnover and being mindful of the guys brought in, but even the veteran and experienced coaches that have left, if there's a common denominator in the way that these seasons have ended for the Buffalo Bills, defense has kind of let them down to the playoffs, right? And so for for those that are uh, would always want to remind you of the definition of insanity and repeating, it's <laughs> you know you, you see these all the time, right? YouTube comments, Twitter, all of that. Like, okay, here it is. Here's a bunch of new voices to try to figure it out here uh, when it comes to these these disappointing defensive performances that have led to the Bills' season ending way sooner than we've wanted it to over the last few years. Now, you kind of got into this already, talking about um, the simulated pressures that you've seen from Coach Booker, some of the philosophies with Coach Adai in in that Miami secondary. But as you start to really look at these new coaches that have come in, what are the trends? What are the things that you can look at maybe in terms of this group collectively coming together that could change some of the core philosophies and what this defense actually looks like moving forward? You know, it's funny having this conversation kind of in a similar fashion like we did last offseason with McDermott taking over. And it was like, okay, disappointing loss to Cincinnati. Like, what does McDermott tweak? And it was going back to what he did in Philly and what he did in Carolina and going with his kind of core principles. And I I think we did see schematic changes defensively for the Bills in 2023, especially when they were healthy. I think with how plagued they were with injuries as the season went on, it, it changed kind of what McDermott had to lean into. Um, and so it was interesting to see some of the changes the Bills had in 2023 and then starting to see the type of coaches that they brought in here in the offseason in 2024. And I wonder, like, you know, we especially in the playoffs, but down the stretch, we started to see the Bills use more two-man, like on third down mm-hmm. in certain situations and knowing how adept Jamila Adai is in that world with how much two-man they play. You know, So he was at Georgia before he was at Miami. How much two-man they play at Georgia, how many – or how much like man principles they have in that Georgia defense with all like the man match zone coverages, similar to what they do in Miami as well. So that makes me think, okay, like, are they, are they looking to lean into more man coverage, not to a perspective of, or to a percentage of, you know, this team is going to be like a 60% man coverage team. It's not going to happen, but maybe in certain high leverage scenarios, like on third downs or specific red zone work areas where you're trying to really type of squeeze those windows and squeeze the breathing room. Do you see more man coverage and bringing in a guy like Jamila Dye, who has been very successful in coaching his guys up in his last two stops at Georgia and Miami in those ways, maybe they're looking to try and teach better leverage or get more out of somebody like a Kyrie Elam trying to present more options for the defense. Um, so I see that piece. And then again, the Booker piece as well. I see Sean McDermott again, when this defense was healthy, especially to start the year, the chaos that they cause for offenses with simulated pressures and creepers and knowing that Booker comes from 
arguably the best simulated pressure team the past couple of years in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also did a good job too. I think coaching up Roger McCreary, who was mainly like an outside man corner at Auburn and had really tiny T-Rex arms and got him becoming like a functional nickel learning on the fly in the NFL. I think that's a kudos to him as well. So maybe he helps Taron Johnson take a jump, but I think overall you look at kind of the schematic or structural pieces. And I think we see more man coverage sprinkled in. I think we see more of a in your face type of presence playing on the forefront or the forefoot type of defense with more simulated, more man coverage, trying to really squeeze and tighten everything for offenses um, and kind of make them play your type of game. That is a fascinating response. And I want to save a lot of my follow-up questions to something we're going to get into in the next segment where we consider um, what some of this means for personnel, because as you're working through that, it's, it, it certainly provokes some thoughts in my mind about, okay, well, what does that mean for Rasul Douglas? If mm-hmm. they're going to want to do this, or it, it, obviously it says a good thing about Kyer Elam, but mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot I want to unpack. So I'm going to save some of those, some of those, uh, follow-ups here for, for just a little bit later. But the next thing I do want to ask you about is, is defensive play calling. Uh, and that's been a mm-hmm. big topic of discussion. We don't know the answer. We don't know who's going to be the defensive play caller. Well, I guess it would be Sean McDermott or Bobby Babbage, right? It would yeah. be one of those two human beings. They will be calling the plays. But you you see this happen, right, where there's uh, – literally just talked about it. With the Chicago Bears, they hired Eric Washington to be, to be their defensive coordinator. Matt Eberflus is still calling the defense. So who do you think should call the defense? And I know that you don't have all the information to be able to to answer that, but maybe you feel something, some type of way about if you're the coordinator, you should call the plays. But if it's not Babbage, what does that tell you? And – what type of impact do you think he can have on this unit if he's not the guy calling the plays? This is such a great question, and I'm super torn on the first part of it of, in terms of like who I want to call the defense. I think it's a true 50-50 of like who calls it. My thought is, because Al Holcomb was named linebackers coach, my thought is, if I'm trying to put breadcrumbs together, or pick up breadcrumbs, I should say, I feel like that means Bobby Babbage is going to call plays, but given the fact that he's never done that really ever, I think you could easily say he still won't. Um, But I'm leaning towards probably like 55% thinking that Bobby Babbage will be the one calling the defense. Who do I think should call the defense? I'm super torn. Like, I liked what McDermott did in 2023 overall. Again, despite like the plague of injuries, I liked bringing in more cross dog blitzes down the stretch. I liked what he was doing schematically to start the year again with the simulators and the creepers and mixing in combo coverages. And when he was throwing in man and, and just what he did, there was that lull and it was a bad lull in the middle of the season when they were really bad with second half adjustments and they were getting gouged regularly, but he came out clean a bit on the other side with that. Um, So I like what McDermott did as a whole. And that's kind of, partly why I want him to still call the defense. And again, on the flip side of it, Bobby Babbage could be a great play caller, but he also could be a work in progress or like he, in in theory, like he could be terrible as well, although I highly doubt it. So there is that bit of unknown. And then also within that, traditionally, I don't want, I don't want my head coach running a side of the ball unless they have a coordinator on the other side that can completely run the show. Again, a la Andy Reid and Spags, uh, Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo in Cincinnati, like, and not, you know, no disrespect to Joe Brady. I'm just not there yet with him where I think he's a guy that can completely swim on his own on that side of the ball. And there needs to be no oversight, um, with his unit. So I'm torn in a whole bunch of ways. I do think Babbitt should overall, like in theory, call the defense. I think if you are the coordinator, that should be your baby. You're the play caller. You're the sequencer. You should have that feel. And to your last question, like if it's not Babbage, 
That's a very interesting one because that makes me, so then what is his true input? Cause he's not a position coach. What's he putting together? Is there a certain aspect of the defense he's responsible for? Is he responsible for overseeing every third down package and piece the red zone work? Is it early down stuff? Is it run game coordination? Is it pass game stuff? Like where does his coordination come in? And then also within that, you were comfortable naming him defensive coordinator, but not giving him the responsibilities, knowing that that booted somebody out the door in John Butler, who was well-respected and good at his job. So obviously you thought the juice was worth the squeeze in that regard. I, I think it opens up a lot of questions, not necessarily horrible ones, but interesting ones, because again, there's no really position coaches left. So if he's the defensive coordinator, <laughs> but he's not really coordinating the defense, then like, what is he, what is he doing? <laughs> Well, I think McDermott had, McDermott had a choice to make, and it's lose Babich or lose Butler, and yeah. whichever one he named his defensive coordinator, the other one was gone, right? Like, and, and that's what happened. And so here we are with Babich, and Butler's gone. Yeah. Here's what I'd say about this, because um, I've thought about it a lot as well. I, I think that Babich should be the the defensive play caller, uh, but again, I don't have all the information. I don't. I, I've never spent a Watch moment. Watch it be in my like life. Al Holcomb or something. No, like yeah, crazy. yeah, that'd like, be crazy. Oh, wow. That'd be crazy. <laughs> I've never spent a moment in my life with Bobby Babbage, so I don't know his capacity for calling plays. I do know that he was named defensive coordinator, and so therefore, I do feel like he should be the play caller. But even if he's not, I still think there's so many different ways that he's going to impact this defense. First of all, he's leading every single meeting, every single team defensive meeting. He's the guy in front of the room. All right, so that's a big deal. He's also leading the defensive coaching staff. Mm-hmm. which probably is a good thing that there's so many new faces here with a young guy, right? That's taken yeah. over this role. And so he's leading that staff, but also I would assume that he's going to still develop the play sheet. So mm-hmm. you, you know how play sheets work. They say, okay, in, in these situations down in distances from these por- portions of the field, these are the, these are the plays that we want to call. So he's still calling the place. He's just not picking the exact one, right? There's mm-hmm. or these are third and long plays from, you know, between the forties. All right. The, okay. It's one of these six calls. Okay. <laughs> you pick which one it is, Sean, right? Like that's the difference. So like, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from Babbage's impact on the defense mm-hmm. if he's not the play caller, because I still think he's literally doing every single thing, including putting the options on the menu. Mm-hmm. He's just not ordering, you know, the exact play at that, at that exact given time. So mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll hear from Sean McDermott at the NFL scouting combine. He's going to be asked about this. I'd predict that he doesn't give an answer, um, but, but we'll get some type of a clue here very, very soon. Uh, we're going to hear from Bobby Babich, actually, here in just a second. I, there's something he said last summer that I've thought a lot about, and so we're going to play it for you here in just a moment. And, uh, of course, I want to get Anthony's thoughts on that, so be sure to stick with me. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all need the opportunity to get something off our chest, big or small, certain things can really start to get to you. And it's important to let that out, especially to someone who's unbiased on your life. Therapy can be different for everyone. Most of us have bigger problems than what's going on with our favorite sports team. And it's important to get things off your chest every once in a while. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. uh, Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It's not just for people who have experienced major trauma. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule. Just visit betterhelp.com slash locked on That'll get you 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on. All right, folks, welcome back. I promised that we would hear from Bobby Babich, and that's what we're going to do right now. So listen to this quote. I think it's really fascinating. And then uh, Anthony and I are going to get into the weeds responding to this. And 
you know, it's going to give us maybe some ideas about what this defense can look like under Babich, but also maybe some things that I want to challenge uh, from Bobby Babich based on this quote. So uh, buckle up, listen in on this. Ideally, in any system, in anything you're doing in football, you have a system where you don't have to do a lot of substituting, if that makes sense to you. So, um, for instance, if I gain 200 reps versus that formation, where maybe now you whittle that down to 50 because you're subbing certain people in and out of things, repetition builds the confidence in what you're doing. There's no substitute for game repetition. So in an ideal world, the same players are on the field and you can do a lot of different things. Obviously, you're not pigeonholed or pegging yourself to do only certain things because this player can only do certain things, if that makes sense to you. So in an ideal world, you have versatile players at every position where you never have to substitute. You know what I mean? And, and you're building that rep count. You're building um, um, that muscle memory with whatever call Sean decides to call. Because I've seen that a thousand times, I can execute this one thing at a very high level. As opposed to getting 20 people in there where they don't get a lot of reps and you're trying to execute that one thing on, a, on, on less repetition, if that answers your question. Anthony... I'm a little bit nervous that this could have been an entire podcast. Right, it really could have. <laughs> reflecting on that. Because uh, I've thought, this this has lived rent-free in my head for a long, long time. And it, it's um, it's at a heightened sense right now because I'm starting to have these urgencies that the Bills need to be less static with their defensive personnel in the back seven. And it's interesting because you've literally heard Bill Belichick talk about this with the Bills and it being a challenging component of playing the Bills and that, Oh, the, the back seven players, the linebackers, corners, and safeties are always the same players. And so they can do so many different things with the same personnel. It makes it difficult to know what they're doing. How do you react to this? Um, and, and let me say this, that the motivation for me wanting to bring this up is obviously I want to get clues into what this defense is going to look like under Bobby Babich. But also, as we see the NFL trending towards more heavy personnel, more two tight ends, more three tight ends, more two backs, right? This is kind of a natural evolution that we expected to an extent, as you saw the spread systems take over. Mm -hmm. And then eventually defenses said, okay, we're going to play nickel all the time. We're going to play two high shells. We're going to play quarters and they're going to have a hard time with that. Well, that's happened. And then the offenses are saying, okay, well, here's big people again. Here's tight ends. Here's fullbacks. Here's running backs. Eat this. If you're going to play nickel all the time. And, in particular, the, this happened to the Bills against Kansas City in the playoff elimination game where they played a ton of 12 and 13 and a, particularly a high um, uptick in their 13 three tight end sets mm -hmm. that helped them overcome, obviously, uh, their issues at tackle. But they ran the ball really well out of that against the Bills who live in nickel. And so let's, let's just break, let's break this down, thinking of what Bobby Babbage said and then the application to what this Bills defense needs to look like moving forward. Yeah. There was so, so much to unpack from what Babbage said. The, the key point for me is kind of the middle of it with the quote, in an ideal world, the same players are on the field and you can do a lot of different things. Obviously, you're not pigeonholed or pegging yourself to do certain things because this certain player can only do certain things. In an ideal world, you have versatile players at every position where you never have to substitute and you are building that rep count. The one thing that it immediately makes me think of, like with this offseason and 
how many holes there are on the defensive line and needing another starting safety and just some questions overall with this defense. Do we start to see more, not positionless players come in, but more athlete-based skill sets starting to come into this defense so they can lean into more of that like versatile type of mold? Um, just from an overall like roster construction standpoint, does that change some of their kind of philosophical aspects on the defensive side of ball in terms of roster building? But the other side of it is they have been able to stay so ver- or be able to be so fluid because of the versatility of Taron Johnson and their guys on the back end and what they've been able to do holistically. The the heavier personnel conversation I think is important to have, but I think. I think we were already starting to see some trends towards matching a little bit when this defense was healthy early in the year. We saw it was Matt Milano and Terrell Bernard. Tyrell Dodson would come in and they would play more three linebacker sets. Then Milano went down, did not Dodson jumped in for him and you'd see Dodson and Bernard and Dorian Williams. And then they didn't have a ton of confidence in Dorian Williams. So you'd see Balen Spector getting thrown into there down the stretch when teams are going heavy, um, including the playoff game against um, the Steelers. So I think they were already starting to recognize that a little bit. There's been a bit, again, they're still going to be, or they still were at least a, a nickel based defense. They're not trying to substitute. They're not trying to do anything, but between the little tweaks that we saw there, I think they're already starting to recognize kind of some of the vulnerabilities they had with their kind of core base defense. And in that Kansas city game, I really feel like if they weren't down to like linebacker five and <laughs> linebacker six yeah. or what, however you want to quantify them again, like it's still wild, like three or four weeks before, like AJ Klein was like, Hey family, where are we going on vacation? And then he's starting against the Kansas city chiefs in the divisional round. If they weren't to that, if they weren't stretched so thin at linebacker, I really think you would have seen more three linebacker sets against 13 and 12. I think Kansas City, granted, they wanted to do that to help their tackles. They didn't have a ton of faith in their wide receivers, but they knew it was such a pain point for the Bills' defense. And the only other option was to be like, okay, let's throw in Dorian Williams, who maybe still isn't experienced, but then we're still living with Dorian and Klein and Dodson's kind of banged up. Like They knew it was going to cause problems no matter what they were going to do. I think if they were healthier at linebacker, we would have seen more three linebacker sets in that playoff game, a la how we kind of you know saw it during the regular season, even when they were banged up at that spot. So I think they've started to recognize it a little bit, and I would expect that to continue um, to kind of be worked in, even though they're still going to be primarily a nickel defense, even with the substitutes on the back end, right? Like the having Poyer be like a dime linebacker on yeah. third down because they yeah. recognize some of their vulnerabilities as well. I feel like one of the big hangups in the three linebacker set conversation as well. Taron Johnson's awesome in the slot. Why are you taking him off the field? To which I say, why are you taking him off the field? Um, why, why does it have to be a situation where Taron Johnson's a guy that comes off? I, especially you watch the film, you see this stuff happen all the time. It, they did last year with Taron Johnson. There was a lot of different plays where they would play him in a traditional slot alignment, sometimes even kind of like up towards the line of scrimmage. Oh, I know the next thing wrong. you know, he's, he's spinning up playing deep yeah. half safety. They're running those two, those two robber looks and Hyde is dropping yeah. down as the robber. And then it's like rap and Taron Johnson is your split guys and Poyer's the robber or um, hides the robber and Poyer's at a linebacker. Yeah. A little, little creativity. I liked it a lot. Let's play Taron Johnson at safety on those situations. You know, it's a true like slot safety. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't feel like you have to achieve this three linebacker sets when you need to at the expense of Taron Johnson. Could it be at the expense of whatever safety you want to take off and have Taron Johnson even play in particular as a, as a low safety? I think that's something that we need to be mindful because I don't want to take Taron Johnson off the field. I don't think you have to either. I think you can you can put him in some different spots. Uh, let's close with this. I wish I had another hour with you, and so I'll probably bug you again at uh, some point. More than but, <laughs> um, 
personnel wise, and I kind of hinted at this. All right, we we can kind of take some clues and the the ultimate we'll get more clarity as free agency happens, as the draft happens, and we see where they invest in in skill sets. We'll get more clarity. But before that happens is where we are right now. What what do you think some of this means, not only for the potential overhaul of, of defensive personnel? There's a ton of expiring contracts, some aging players. They'll have to make some choices there. But also for the guys that are returning, do you feel like some of these ideas for where this defense is heading, like who does that help? Who does that hurt? That's a really great question, and I I think it helps the linebackers first and foremost. Like Bernard and Milano, I think, are so versatile with what they can do coverage-wise and coming forward. So I'm excited to see like the defensive coaching staff overhaul and potential philosophy tweaks, Babich's influence, like however you want to label it, in terms of kind of potentially unleashing Bernard and Milano a little bit more, especially with, again, the type of blitzes McDermott was sending them on early, but even all that cross dog stuff down the stretch, imagine doing that with Milano and Bernard. Like I'm excited to see that kind of piece. Even somebody like Christian Benford and Rasul Douglas seeing the, the strength, the size, the physicality, but also seeing some of the athleticism, like what kind of coverage pieces do you lean into with them? And then, I go from there looking at like the current pieces and we have already talked about Taron Johnson, like everything he can do. And also even within the run game too, like real quick for the most part, Taron Johnson plays like a pretty good linebacker. Even when he's like put into the box, there are only a handful of times where they get gouged and everything's a problem. I feel like people forget like, Oh, they're playing the Raiders this year and they're going like nothing but 12 and Taron Johnson's meeting like Jakob Johnson in the hole. Who's like a 245 pound fullback and everything's fine. But then there'll be the one game where they get gouged in the run and everybody's like, nickel sucks. We got to change like nine out of 10 times. Taron's crushing it as a 190 pound linebacker. Um, so he'll, that versatility will help him as well. I'm the personnel piece I'm most focused on is what they do at safety and what they do at defensive line, because it looks like they're going to need another starting safety with Micah Hyde's departure. What do they lean into with that regard? Or even with Poyer, who I think is staying, but you could cut Poyer and save about 5 million. If that happens, what do you do at your safety spots? Are you looking to get more juice there? Are you looking to get younger and potentially more vertical or more versatility with what you can do in mixing and matching? Are you looking to replace Poyer with a younger Jordan Poyer type? Are you looking to pair him with more of a traditional free safety type because you think he's going to live more in the box or live closer to the line? The reinforcements that they need at defensive end, traditionally they've been a Greg Rousseau pocket compression archetype at the edge spot. They want guys that go through dudes and compress that pocket. Von Miller and even Leonard Floyd to a degree are very much the antithesis of everything they look for at the at an edge spot from an archetype standpoint. But with that versatility, do they look to more guys who are comfortable dropping out because they want to run more simulated or they want to do, you know, more pressure package looks. And so it's not just your typical, Hey, we want you to be an edge guy who can run through somebody's chest and win a half man relationship. Do we see some tweaks there? How does that funnel into the interior on the defensive line? Usually their rotational dudes on the defensive line have been more versatile, a little bit of pass rush, a little bit of run stopping. Does that continue? Do we see a little more siloed work? I think it's, it's a bonus for who they have returning they, this philosophy and this mindset and the new coaching staff pieces. Um, Cause I think it opens up another world for them while also still working within their wheelhouse to allow them to be successful. But I think the biggest question is what it means from free agency in the draft in terms of what personnel do they target to now come in? I think that'll really help us continue to pick up those breadcrumbs and put the puzzle pieces together and figuring out what the bills defense will be in 2024. 
Well, as this picture becomes more clear, you know, I'll, I'll definitely want to chat with you some more on, on what this, this unit could look like. So that's definitely something that people have to look forward to. And I, my apologies for not getting here sooner, but tell everybody what's going on with you. I know that you've done a ton of work on free agency. You're doing a bunch of draft work. You just put out um, a big free agency primer with Eric Turner. Yeah. Where, where, what, pe- where, what can people expect and find from you and where can they get it? Sure. So I'll start with my my solo show where I have a bunch of rotating guests and different things. It's called Disguise Coverage. It's live every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern on the Cover One YouTube channel. And then I co-host the Cover One Film Room with Eric Turner live every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern. Find me on Twitter at pro underscore underscore ant. Uh, it's pro two underscores A-N-T. Everything that I'm doing right now is all film-based and schematics and putting advanced metrics and pieces together as well. But um, starting with free agency, a lot of fits, you got to start with that cost filter and knowing the cap (laughs) situation where the bills are at, but then figuring out who fits their positions of need schematically, who also fit into that cost piece. Um, Thank you for that shout out for the primer episode. Yeah, Eric and I uh, last night went with our top eight free agents, free agent wish list, and then we paired it together with metrics and film for every single player showing the scheme fit, what they're good at, what they need work at. Um, And then obviously onward and upward, as far as the NFL draft scouting, anything and everything, obviously there is that bills lens to it with what I do, but I just cover the draft from an overall perspective. I love this time of year. I love college football tape and evaluating players instead of having to look at entire defenses and sides of the ball and all that kind of stuff. So uh, if you just want draft coverage and free agent coverage in terms of film clips and schematics and player breakdowns and needs and X's and O's and all that, I'm your guy. Check him out, folks. I'm a big fan. I, I consume a lot of the content. I love talking ball with Anthony, and, and hopefully everyone here will check out his work. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Big shout out to Anthony for being here with us. Hopefully you enjoyed this. As always, we kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. And I look forward to catching up with you again real soon.